Um, hi guys, welcome back to Stargirl. It's Emma. Today is Thursday, August 31st, 2023. Holy shit, it's the end of August and basically the end of summer. Yeah, I feel like I had an amazing and also very disjointed summer. Um, I was gone for like three weeks in the middle of it combined with my back injury, which you guys have all heard the sob story of, and the recovery of that, plus the quitting of the job, plus the, like, I don't know. It just felt like I had, like, all these mini, like, three weeks to a month long sections of the summer, and I felt for the full thing, like, I didn't have, like, a cohesive vibe or even like retrospective of what I was even like up to um and I don't know on one hand I feel like those can often be really beautiful times of life because it means that you're not too controlling of what you're up to and it can you know I guess I guess times where you where your life doesn't feel so cohesive can be an indicator that you're being genuinely exploratory or um shaking things up I definitely feel like I shook things up but I don't feel like I necessarily (laughs) felt like oh I've I've landed in this next chapter that I was so longing for like anyways whatever it's always obviously a balance but actually that directly relates to um the the episode which um I guess I'm roughly referring to or thinking of is just like end of summer check-in grounding looking ahead what's what's the vibe what is working and what's not working (laughs) um and so how this check-in came to be is that I woke up one morning a couple weekends ago to a note I had written in my notes app that all it said was I've lost the plot and um, that was initially disturbing because it never feels good to kind of have reflected back at yourself that you don't have a grasp on what's going on in your life what's going on culturally what the like tensions and you know reactions and overcorrections of of the moment even are um and not that I consider myself necessarily a cultural critic but I do feel like there was a kind of uh more interior existential crisis happening which was that I was like wait what are the what is the push-pull you know (laughs) um so uh so I spent some time thinking about it and um really the only way to do that in my mind to do that effectively is to like do a deep dive into yourself and be like okay actually what what am I feeling really fiery about what am I feeling really confused about um rather than going around like sniffing and you know trying to piece together some like uh just trying to look for patterns I guess um and then and then form out of that a thesis about the state of things yeah much better to just like take inventory of yourself and then that can help at least point you in the direction and I feel like one of or I was gonna say one thing but probably the root of all of this is just sometimes you stale on your own conversations right so in the same way that hanging out with the same people even if they're people that you really like can start to feel kind of sad talking about and thinking about the same things that once invigorated you without like 
you know, kind of forcing yourself to continually go further or investigate different things can feel really sad when you see yourself just like hitting the same things home again and like not really progressing. And I guess that went on a little bit too long, hence the waking up to the I've lost the plot note. Because I was just like, I feel like I've been saying the same shit, not just on this podcast, but in my life to my friends and in my head to myself um, for for far too long. So we had to dig deep and just be like, okay, what what is up right now? Um, what are the central tensions that I feel in my life with my social circles, with people I see myself drifting toward or away from? What's going on there? What are the conversations that feel most urgent to me in what I'm consuming and voices that I'm listening to? So I spent a lot of time thinking about those things and I came up with a short list um and and once I did this I realized that all of the next episodes are related to these key principles so it felt really great to be like oh okay I just had to like do a little bit of download and stop just like running around like a chicken with my head cut off and then I'm seeing the genuine patterns that emerge um and and it's and it's all fine so um The three big ideas that I have come to are as follows. Number one is activities slash skills slash hobbies. Okay. Number two is the question, how am I treating my body and what am I putting into it slash onto it? And number three is campy femininity. So keep those three in your mind. Activities slash skills slash hobbies. How am I treating my body and campy femininity? And then we'll go through them. These three points, themes, I don't know, buckets <laughs> um, are all united in my mind under this idea of capability slash resourcefulness. Um, and this is as opposed to or potentially in reaction to the idea of fragility. Um Feminine fragility has, to my mind, been kind of a reigning concept slash aesthetic slash ethos of the past several years um, when we look at editorials, internet culture, etc. And it has a lot of different and sometimes even unrelated manifestations, right? So there's one way that we can look at feminine fragility is even back to like girl boss era feminism, which at once stressed empowerment and like women in men's roles, that kind of thing, which seems anti-fragile. However, a huge aesthetic critique of it was that it was infantilizing and kind of, you know, uh, leaned into this idea of women as fragile, unrepresented, um, inherently more ethical than men position. Right. So that's that's one manifestation of fragility. Another manifestation of fragility is the the vibe of like girl in her bed, crying, smoking cigs, like listening to sad music, heavy eyeliner, bruising easily, and that alone or that crossed with kind of uh like you know like (laughs) angel core in any of its ways so it could be like god posting it could be like oh like I um need like a man to do this for me like oh I'm so helpless I'm so sick like any of that kind of look and feel is giving fragility to me um number three is um the 
actually, this is kind of related, but like the entire camp of feminine energy coaching on, I mean, TikTok is where I consumed it, but I'm sure it is alive and well on other channels as well. But there was a huge push, like particularly, I feel like 2021, 2022 around, um, feminine energy coaches and the idea of being like oh women like you need to stop leaning into your masculinity like sit back and that will allow your man to like step up into his decisiveness into his provider vibes into whatever else and like to lean back and into your femininity of sweetness of you know pretty much like not resourcefulness not being able to provide for yourself or your family financially materially physically whatever um that that all of that was was the point behind this this coaching uh genre (laughs) so that's another one I even feel like um, so much of kind of trad discourse, whether ironic or not, like I feel like that was giving fragility as well for some of the, that overlaps some with what I was just talking about, about feminine energy coaches. But also like even as some of like internet trad aesthetics were about um I was going to say homesteading, but that even feels like (laughs) giving it too much credit. Um, But about the domestic space and, um, you know, that there is like resourcefulness and capability baked into traditional women's roles in the home. um, I still feel like it was more leaning on that, you know, fragile, serene, lack of agency, um, or even like against agency to, you know, bolster, protect, enhance masculinity, which, you know, I feel like the narrative goes that masculinity has been at an all-time crisis and, you know, young men are not doing well in by every marker. Um, and that is not a narrative that I find particularly compelling or that I want to either refute or like, I just, I'm just like, okay, figure it out. Like, I can't put my energy there but you know this this is where the story goes and I think that a lot of the the trad aesthetics as I said um are trying to counteract that encourage us you know getting beyond that which which is probably good but anyways okay so these are some of the routes of of fragility and also just I feel like princessy vibes in general I don't actually have like a cultural argument around this but I can just say that I personally have started to get really fed up with people that I know that are like so princessy i'm just like okay why are you why are you as a grown woman itchy because of a tag why are you as a grown woman unable to carry your groceries home you know like there's so many things where i'm just like okay you need to figure it out um so so this is all my anti-fragile case (laughs) so what i am asserting for myself for those i love and for the world at large is resourcefulness and and capability and yeah that's that's what we're what we're working with (laughs) um okay cool so starting with the easiest to talk about topic is hobbies activities slash skills so there's there's two roots of this theme emerging in my life so as so far as I can tell one is I woke up one morning or like woke up on a series of successive mornings with the same idea which was okay I'm ready for some new skills kind of this feeling of like okay how far is critical thinking actually getting me um and not that I don't think that it's important to um try to cultivate original ideas um and learn how to articulate yourself (laughs) however I'm like 
I need like some additional knowledge streams outside of just my belief and my ability to see an image and form an opinion about it. Um, so, um, so that's one route. The second is that I've just noticed a lot more people um, showing an interest in like doing activities as a form of socializing. And this could totally just be anecdotal in my life. Um, but I feel like I personally used to be kind of anti-activity because I found it like anti-intellectual or just kind of like super normy or something to like socialize by doing like a sport or a game or something like that. It just felt like kind of deeply depressing to me. I was like, wow, why can't you just talk? <laughs> and then recently I've, I'm experiencing this gradual shift where I'm like, damn, nothing sounds more boring than going to a bar and talking, you know? Um, so yeah, but this summer I have had like a 1000% uptick in invitations to literally do things. So it's like, like this summer I've been like swimming, going to yoga tonight. I'm going rock climbing, trying out new workout classes. I've been to multiple baseball games. Like I want really have this craving to jet ski. Like a bunch of people are playing tennis, doing pickup soccer, whatever. I'm just seeing such an impulse toward games and activities um whereas like I said previously these things felt even if it wasn't articulated there was kind of a feeling of these being just like normie behaviors or something um and I certainly wasn't seeing all my friends who just like to read and gab be like hey anybody want to go to the driving range it's like (laughs) so anyways it's um it's cool and maybe this is just like something about getting older I don't know maybe we're just like done with the era of like I don't know sitting in a dive bar or something I'm not sure but um anyways so that's what I'm thinking about but oh wait the um the one kind of like cultural piece that I kind of feel (laughs) is um I was having this conversation with a girl the other week we were talking about in like popular current day literature specifically but I do think this phenomenon uh extends beyond that anyways that the 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 mise-en-scene of like the alienated single girl living in a metropolitan area over prescribed antidepressants like that whole trope and aesthetic world is like completely ran through and just isn't compelling to consume or even imagine yourself in and um so I feel like there's kind of a piece to that too where like we've reached the limit of being able to romanticize at least for this swell of culture being alienated and zoned out and like lonely okay that's alienated (laughs) and like even just in a city like it's just not feeling super juicy anymore um so I feel like there's there's a part of that where then turning to activity and sport and big groups of people getting together and yeah just like a way to like engage yourself either fully physically or just like have a more communal and sorry embodied experience um is that feels like a yeah just a riper space to mine to cultivate it just feels more appealing so um yeah and I guess if 
I'm going to really try to like hit it on home. Um, I would say that this really connects to the idea of play that I brought up in a couple episodes ago now. Um, And that play as like a core principle that you organize your life around and that you protect as something that you need every day. Um, Anyways, I'm not saying that in mass we're all being like, play is the way to experience your life um, or to fill your life with meaning. But um, I don't know. It's something I've been feeling. Um, In terms of Stargirl news, first thing that fits in is the profile of Ty Haney in the cut from a few weeks ago. Um, Ty Haney, the founder and former CEO of Outdoor Voices, huge millennial brand, the the two to ID way to read this is that doing things has actually never been more relevant. Um, but yeah, the profile is not super interesting, but maybe I just, it's necessary because we, this is like a character that has entered the circuit and that we need to keep up with and like, you know, follow through her full arc. There's so much research that, so much more research that I need to do in terms of her current ventures in crypto and weed to form an opinion about her and the cut was kind of coming at like such a high level that I couldn't even latch but um yes many of you have requested a Ty Haney episode and at first I was like we already did Audrey Gelman we don't need another girl boss era person but then the more I thought about it I was like actually each one of the cast of the original girl bosses like is so distinct and represents such a specific and different swath of millennial culture particularly as we being millennials as we like age into our 30s like they actually all of the strains glossier the wing leandra medine crew outdoor voices like all of these have aged into a very particular type of millennial woman so i do want to do a thai episode as is my point but i need to do more research so anyways i won't go too far into thai's vibes right now because i want to save them but just even reading this profile and then thinking about her, I was like re-reminding myself like what she was even selling with Outdoor Voices. And her persona was like a way richer portrait of life than what she was able to capture and sell with the product itself. Um, And, but I do think, as I said, among her contemporaries, if we were going to say Emily Weiss, Audrey, Gelman, Leandra Medine, like she's so separate and like critically she was like the core non-New York centric girl boss of that crew and I feel like Outdoor Voices being based in Austin is so critical to I mean one the like the story of it but also such a thing that marks Outdoor Voices as a millennial brand because like 2015 to 2019 was like the time when Austin was being so shoved down everyone's throat of like the place to go. Um, I went to college in Nashville and I graduated in 2016. So there was like a huge push of people from Vanderbilt, my school, to that were moving to Austin. And I felt like that was like maybe region specific. And then I moved back to Seattle and like so many people were like Austin crazed as well. And so there was just this yeah, I, I mean, I can't even get into it because I like just want to learn more before I say it. But there's Austin feels so millennial coded to me. And I haven't been there since 2016. So I don't even know what it, the actual scape is. But um, anyways, there's there's something there about Austin's, 
yeah, Austin's moment <laughs> or something among like the liberal tech media class. Um, that is very interesting. Um, anyways. Oh, and then also related to that, I feel like we've been talking about New York specifically in a couple of the last episodes. What is characteristic of New York today? What is characteristic of New York historically? Who is this place for? Who is it not for? When and how and why do people leave? Um, When and how and why do big actors resist it? Um, And I think Ty Haney and outdoor voices is one lens that we can look at like attention of New York versus everywhere else versus the internet versus this specific city that's having a moment in the sun um so anyways just want to plant that seed and we can come back to it in once we tackle her head on um okay the other doing things thing or the other activities Stargirl news item that I wanted to bring up is that Hannah Nealman um, at Ballerina Farm won the Mrs. American pageant. Um, I don't think that I have brought up Ballerina Farm on Stargirl yet, which is insane because I am have been so obsessed with her for like, I don't know, maybe 18 months now, and it is only continuing. Um, so she's absolutely a star girl. And um, if you don't know who she is, please look her up and we will revisit her very, very soon. Um, but uh, mini on who she is, Ballerina Farm, Hannah Nealman, she and her husband own a farm in Utah. They raise cattle and hogs and um, they have a company called Ballerina Farm, which I guess exports for lack of a better word, sells um, the the meat that they raise as well as a variety of other things. They have like sourdough starter and bread boxes and cookies and flowers and, um, you know, and, and merch as well. That is their company. To explain the name, she is a former Juilliard ballerina and then she you know, stop dancing after college, um, married this guy who's actually the, um, the heir to the jet blue fortune. <laughs> so, um, more to, that we will get into there. Anyways, um, they're Morbin. They live in Utah. They have seven children and she's like only 33. They have this wildly successful company and more importantly, um, I don't know, just brand. Um, but anyways, she do, she did pageants all growing up, and she talks about how they helped her pay for her Juilliard education. Anyways, um, then as a mother, she has competed in the Mrs. American pageant, so the for married women, and this year she won just last week. So super exciting, really proud of her, and um, yeah, she's one of the most complex characters on my radar and um I think is kind of at this amazing nexus of so many conversations that are happening culturally around food around um motherhood around um beauty ideals around family around like this is just so much around religion like so 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 much so I can't wait to do her episode this fall um but congratulations to her um okay That's all I had on the activities front. Um, So let's move into the next one. Okay, the next, um, what was it? What did I call them? Next urgent theme. (laughs) How am I treating my body? So what am I putting into it? What am I putting onto it? Do I even know? (laughs) Like, and um, 
it's interesting, like, in general, I think of myself as someone who values my body and treating it well through nutrition and sleep and fitness and I don't know. But then, like, it... Walking that walk is such a more massive endeavor than I think we make it out to be. And and I, I guess at one on one hand, per the Lauren Kansky school of thought is like it's actually really simple. Just limit alcohol, sleep, hydrate, eat a lot of protein and touch iron and get your heart right. <laughs> um so yes, like I think in terms of the ins and outs of if it's a goal for you, losing fat and building muscle and like, you know, optimizing your longevity, like there's a, a, a handful of very simple principles that you can, can follow. And I feel like there's so much knowledge that I don't have or have and fail to implement around what the fuck is in what I consume. (laughs) Um, and, what is my relationship to to what I consume? So not just talking about food, um, also talking about like drug usage and the relationship there. Um, also talking about, um, you know, just everything that is like going on my body on a day-to-day basis. So my sunscreen, my makeup, any medicine that I take, um, like chemicals that are just like in our lives, you know, and I'm trying to not like sound like a total like fringe paranoid. But once you start like looking into it, it's like scary and overwhelming because there's like so much, (laughs) so much. Um, So I don't know. I I mean, I've talked about already on this podcast, some of those themes and some of the voices that speak directly to them. Um, I think we, you know, we've touched lightly on conversations around pharma and the FDA, around vaccines, around um, food and macros, but less about like food quality and sourcing and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, I haven't even haven't talked at all about like the clean beauty push of the past several years or state of skincare industry or like there's so many angles to attack it from. And certainly I'm not going to try to do that here and now. Um, But this is kind of a yeah, this is a, a bucket of interest for me and just a place where I'm like, whoa, I need to like I need to like learn some basic, basic shit. Um, and yeah, I can talk a little bit about my like evolution with these ideas so you know where I'm situated. So I grew up in Seattle, as you guys know, a center, at least of, at that time, of liberal progressive politics, of kind of food justice movements. Um, innate parts of my childhood were like composting, learning about direct trade, um, learning about like I was like so young when I was like learning the history of Dole bananas, right? Like this was like these were conversations that just like every family and my public school education, like it was naturally included there. And so I feel like I did have a lot of like early on foundational understanding and understanding of these industries and perspective on how I could make choices that like, you know, aligned with certain values around these things. Um, And that also meant that part of my adolescent rebellion was being like, 
oh, I'm so over this hippie shit. (laughs) Like, as I said, I went to college in Nashville. And when I moved there, it was so refreshing to like be given styrofoam as a takeout container or see people getting fast food. And, And those are not like cultural artifacts specific to Nashville, but they were things that really were not happening in my environment growing up. Um, And so I think that there was a, a certain period of time where I was just very, I was just rejecting anything that I associated with where I was from. Um, So it's not that I had like hardened ideas, anti whatever food justice, (laughs) Um, but I didn't like continue my education on those things. Um, And now I'm in a place where I'm like, oh, I want to again, like know where my food comes from, know what preservatives are in my food, know what the fuck is in the medicine that my random ass doctor who I found on ZocDoc is like (laughs) prescribing me, right? Um, And yeah, and I can't say like necessarily all what's putting me back in this direction, but it's happening. Um, and David and I have been, I'm not going to say making changes, but experimenting with other possibilities um, to try and like, yeah, figure out like what feels right for us and what feels sustainable for this crazy city that we live in that like, it's not realistic that we are just going to like, live off of things that were grown within a 50 mile radius of us or something right like there's it's even as we can experiment with certain changes like you know joining a farm share getting like all natural toothpaste and sunscreen um like quitting the fluoride toothpaste um oh I just said that but um trying to be more strategic about the supplements that we take even so it's just like a massive endeavor anyways Stargirl news items related to this. <laughs> One, just the increasing eminence of Ballerina Farm, which I just talked about. Um, but then um, also, I this is like random that this was even a Stargirl news item on my list, but it was, which is that Tinks is getting into Ayurveda. Um, I used to follow Ayurveda pretty strictly when I was... I don't know if I ever talked about this, but I'm a like certified yoga teacher. Um, I mean, me and along with like, I think there was some stat a while ago that was like by 2025, like 90% of white women in America are going to be certified yoga teachers. But so yeah, running with the crew there. Um, but Tinks is getting into tongue scraping. Um, so <laughs> I'm... Um, Anyways, it does, if you have never tried it, it is actually really awesome. So I don't, I can't speak to the full health benefits, but it does feel really good and you will be disgusted by what um, you find. Um, anyways, okay. Moving on. The third, <laughs> I'm doing air quotes. The third urgent theme is campy femininity. So this is the maybe biggest and it is the most complex and I don't totally understand my own issues as it pertains to this. <laughs> so if, this is going to be clumsy and we're going to we're going to talk it out. Okay, so to define what I mean by this phrase, um I guess I'm talking about this impulse toward 
theatrical, over-the-top, what we might call like high-femme or hyper-femininity vibes. So this kind of caricature interpretation of femininity, um, which is obviously fine and per my comment before, something where I'm trying to tease out, like, what is my issue here? What feels threatening about this? So some instances of this are, like, obviously, like, hot pink, glitter and sparkles, um, really over-the-top injectables, um, big makeup. Um, I guess we, we talk about, we talk a lot about, like, pedestrian forms of, of artifice, like, you know, nails and wigs. Um, but then also really exaggerated silhouettes so all of these kind of feel like you know the the upper boundary of what we um what we're exploring culturally when we're looking at like you know expressions of femininity in 2023 right so so I know we've all been like we're like so sick of the Barbie analysis but the fact that Barbie can feel so safe and acceptable in 2023 does tell us something about what we are accepting and honoring as femininity today right and so obviously Barbie the Barbie movie being a pop culture artifact is a very you know safe version of what we're talking about in campy femininity but again the fact that this can appeal to mass audiences in America with the hot pink the glitter the particular feminism that is espoused in that um is is a sign of or what we are allowing and also associating with womanhood um the obsession with kind of infantilization and extended girlhood there's like so much great writing and thinking and just observations about this um and I think the Barbie movie totally feeds into that as well um and I think that that girlhood is campy because it's like this fetishization of our nostalgia but not even really of the emotional space of it but just of the kind of toy-like environment of childhood and and even teenagedom right and so I think the fact that like so many grown women are still mining like god forbid y2k like it's um there's something that feels very theatrical and and kind of fake about that and um I think that when people revere this very costumey portrayal it's thought of as like high high artifice high camp right so there's this intellectual uh, intellectualization of what women are doing when they choose to present this way and so they're subverting some expectations or they are kind of like post 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 ironizing it in this new way or they're reclaiming something about um about womanhood and and femininity um and I think that well I actually I don't even have a judgment on 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 this as a phenomenon um but it's it's something that I'm observing where it is it do think that there is a change from five years ago to now in terms of the exaggerated costumey girlishness that is like that that is all around us okay so that that's just an observation okay but in order to like get deeper into what I've discovered is a judgment on it we are going to look at 
<laughs> the Addison Ray album release. Okay. So, uh, first of all, just to like say congratulations to Addison. Like, obviously, we all know the whole story of the leak last year and um, the ridicule that she had to endure um following that and then also just like obviously before right obsessed the like single off of that came out in 2021 everyone's like you're such an idiot and and then two years later we've got we've got her ep so it's been massively celebrated and she's kind of being heralded as this like new pop princess right um who is both like uh, you know pushing the form a little bit but also like paying her respects and this very nostalgic idea of pop music obviously she's been compared to britney spears like basically since she hit the scene um and now she's getting compared to lady gaga like i mean tanks remixed her song <laughs> I'll I'll link I'll link Tinks's SoundCloud so you can check it out. Um so that is all good and I'm really happy for her and as like such a such a diehard like it, it's not even that I'm a fan of her work. I believe in her. Uh so I'm obviously very very happy for her. But two things. One, <laughs> you know what goes harder than Addison's new music is her original TikTok videos like what is way edgier and sicker is her at age 18 the way that she behaved on the internet not this new you know phoenix of her career remanufactured into the next pop princess you know and then I'm also just like kind of pissed so I'm happy for her and pissed because like and I acknowledge that this is just part of the celebrity parasocial thing right like but it's kind of the first time that I've ever felt like territorial around a interest that I have rather than wanting to share it um, and I was just in a conversation with someone earlier this week about how frustrating it is when you sense that someone is consuming culture or loyal to specific artifacts of culture only to individuate themselves or hold themselves above someone else rather than to actually find community through shared interests so I recognize that that is exactly what I'm doing in this instance where I'm just like wait you don't get to claim her like <laughs> ew get away you know um but uh but I do still I do still feel that way so yeah and I think that it is really because the reasons that she is being accepted as an icon and as an artist I guess now are to my mind just completely miss the point of what is so special about her and I've even seen some reviews that do at least acknowledge like her unmanufacturable um star quality which is a great that at least people can recognize that like deep one in a million radiance that she has but I think that like post-ironic pop music and the you know at the worst effort to individual intellectualize that output or at least to like situate it within a like pop canon like that's fine but that's just beside the point like I feel like every time I'm reading these reviews I'm just like <laughs> okay nerds like <laughs> ew like come on just open your eyes but that's fine and I also obviously understand that like the the narrative arc is working in her favor now because she has this comeback story after years of being ridiculed rather than like she probably has more runway now and more ability to attract fans who have 
all of these different personal self-hating narratives that they're working through that they can project onto her than if she had just been accepted point blank as the the like rah-rah, I'm going to sleep with the principal cheerleader energy that she had in um, in her early TikTok days. Um, but I think it's just that what we have manufactured her into is worth less than what she originally offered us. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's sad, right? So, okay, so let's look at this. So, and I promise this relates back to the campy femininity. Just one sec. So let's look at this. What was the original value proposition of Addison Ray? Raw, unfussy, uninhibited, unstylized, beauty, budding sexuality, and most importantly, confidence. Long, messy hair, bad highlights, you know, just like, popular high school or random ass makeup and style total like sweetheart but kind of like with an evil glint vibe and Addison's evil glint is very different than the Grimes Azalea Banks Dasha evil glint that I've talked about the Addison evil glint is like what I was just alluding to like I'm gonna sleep with the principal right like she's like she's a bad girl you know but this was something I would always get like I'm like are you guys okay? Every time I would see someone characterize her as like girl next door and like even back to the um oh my god what the fuck the praying scandal of last summer like so many people were like oh, oh my but like Addison Ray is like a cheerleader and it's like yeah the cheerleader who sleeps with the dad you know like what are you, you guys are clearly missing this I guess she's girl next door and the fact that she was really like yeah unstylized and kind of like plain in that sense like and she is a sweetheart but she's like She's obviously like a little sex pot, you know, like there was so clearly always a huge theme <laughs> within her. OK, anyways, what was I going to say? Blah, 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 sweetheart guys. Oh, yeah, but just the confidence and warmth and uninhibitedness that she was able to project and the way that she could really, you know, for lack of a better term, connect with her audience and engage with the audience on TikTok as opposed to... I mean, I talked about this in her episode, the, you know, the D'Amelio sisters, Daisy Keach, like all of those other early TikTok girls. I feel like Avani was probably like the next closest to like having a really like engaging and kind of unique persona that she was projecting. But um, obviously, as we've seen play out now, like Addison is just heads and shoulders above these other gals she was running with in the Hype House for you know like her potential as a I mean I don't know sex symbol even just like music video girl at the kind of like lowest rung of what would be available to her um anyways so that's the original value prop what's the value proposition of her today with her EP it's this studied nostalgic pop princess someone who's done her homework who's learned the canon who's found a way to situate herself within it and also pay homage to all those who came before her right and I obviously know that this huge team shaving her down into this but it's sad not because I think that she would have made raw or more aggressive music but that the persona and the vibes of her were so much edgier when she was just being basic ass bitch you know and now it's like okay thank you for this anyways we are really losing out on like her particular fire and 
warmth. I think that it's just worth noting that like this is the type of feminine portrayal that we are comfortable with now. Like the way to make Addison palatable to the masses is to transform her into this hyper-feminine, pink, glitter, like, you know, just this this campy, theatrical, costumey version of herself. And um, And I think that, you know, it's not just that I, at least at this time in my life, have a preference for more natural feeling things than more artificial feeling things. Like, that is true, but I do believe that there's something more that is making this, like, unappealing um, to me. And I think one thing is that it just, it feels very indulgent. And it's not that I have a moral criticism around indulgence in and of itself, but that I find that this particular form of indulgence loses the tension. Like, it's like, I can't, there's nothing interesting for me to grasp onto um, or to consider. It's just like so just blown out, I guess, I keep feeling. And um, I mean, it's something that we've talked about actually a lot on this podcast of like, how do you hold that tension? Um, And not only so just so that you can like put on a successful show for a long ass time, but like, how do you make the, the interior tensions of being a woman resonant um, with an audience, with even just people in your life. And I think like my r- root criticism of this kind of campy femininity, which I totally could just be like latching to and like getting this, getting my panties in a wad for something that I could just like not consume. Um, but I think my core issue with it is that I think, ugh, what am I trying to say? It's like we're restricting our potential for connection because it's way easier to just live your life in a costume emotionally in the clothes you wear and how you style yourself than it is to to do the opposite of that and I don't I don't even know what I'm trying to say so this is probably like so not like coalescing but there's like a feeling that this particular type of self-portrayal it's like you're missing a step kind of it's like okay there's something that you want to express about your sexuality about your beauty about your desire for sex and beauty um about like but the the if the only way to do that is to like click up into this other costumey gear and just be like just like this over-the-top glammed up high artifice thing like it's like and then we can all get on board and just be like, yeah, like, go girl, like, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, that's not really what the strife is about. And I'm not saying that it can't be a cathartic way to deal with it. But I'm saying it is easier and less vulnerable than, like, actually coming to the table. That's not actually coming to the table, I guess, is what is what I will say. And I feel like this is really not even about, like, 
editorialized ideas that I consume. Like you can just not look at them. But I do think that it either trickles down into or is symptomatic of a larger thing like just in interpersonal relationships, which maybe isn't like specific to the here and now, but is something that I think about. Like I think that there's – it's way easier for people to – kind of engineer connection through this kind of celebration of like blown out girlishness than it is to just like be more real or something. There are more people that are going to celebrate this new stylized version of Addison Ray than could ever get behind like her kind of like pure expression of her desires and view about herself and um anyways um I guess uh, a couple things that give me kind of like hope about this or just that made me happy to see um are recent L shoots L magazine is like really killing it one is the Zendaya cover that just came out and then two which has been getting a ton of talk recently is the Alex Earl shoot I mean Zendaya is always just like this actually doesn't represent like a change in her styling because I feel like she's is whatever Zendaya episode incoming because there's so much going on there but like she's always just really holding it down for herself but Alex Earl who I definitely would say over the past year like is a high artifice highly campy over caricature of herself type of costumey type of person just in the way that she like chooses to style herself and her makeup and all of her injectables and everything 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 um but this L shoot is like well, first of all, most of the pictures are black and white. Her hair is like blown out and fluffy. And it's like the first time I've ever seen her look like glamorous. And her skin is super clear. And she just looks so stripped down. And I it was really stunning. Like I didn't even like register that it was her the first time that I saw these images. Um, so that's really amazing. Oh, wait, wait, sorry. Other just now I'm thinking about Alex Earl. I guess another Stargirl news is like the Unwell Network, Alex Cooper's whole deal. So we have to, I think we'll just like see how that unfolds and we'll get more details, but wanted to note that. And then also I want to ask you guys if you think Alex Cooper is a Stargirl. I have never been drawn to the Call Her Daddy universe and I've like tried again and again to get into it and it's just not my thing, but I'm totally open to doing it as homework. Um, that that is to say not having real intimacy with the vibes I um assumed that she was because I was like okay you're just kind of you know like standout chick like she obviously is like generating conversation you know she kind of fits the bill in all of these ways and then I was talking to a friend about that who is very literate in the call her daddy history and universe and she was like oh my god Alice Cooper like fuck no like she is not a sorrow at all so um curious to hear what you guys think on that and more to be said um other thing, uh, swinging away from the campy femininity after too damn long is Julia Fox for Victoria's Secret. Um, sh- the picture I just like post- reposted it the other day, but she um, is, it's like the most, it's the best she's looked since her pregnancy photos dropped, in my opinion. This is the first time that like she has allowed herself to just like be the beautiful woman that she is without like all of these layers of like subversion going on um and I was so happy to see that and then also just a reminder to everybody that her book is coming out this fall and she just posted something hilarious so it was like I can't wait for all you bitches to psychoanalyze me so that that is a thing um and oh and then the 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 last piece of 
not campy femininity that I'm enjoying, which is actually surprising to me, is the way that M. Rada is choosing to portray her motherhood. Um, she is giving such a sincere, just like, I love my son and my life is beautiful. And more to come on this once we talk about Ballerina Farm because I want to, as I said, talk about a lot of the motherhood conversations via her. But um, I think that the dominant way that motherhood has been treated has been like this kind of expose of the difficulty of it I'm sh- and like how much you lose of yourself once you make that choice. Um, I'm sure that that has been a great way to form community um, among mothers and it is kind of tragic in my mind that we can't that it's less common to just see like a beautiful portrayal of such a wonderful wonderful thing um so I think that the way that Emily Ratajkowski is approaching her public uh yeah the way she publicly like celebrates her child and herself as a mother um is really beautiful and is not campy (laughs) um okay so yes let's see that is all I had on that all I had it's like actually so much but um this these are the things that I'm thinking about and these are the things that are going to carry us into this fall season of Stargirl um and I talked about it at the beginning but just to tie it all in a loop the overriding thing with all of these is like capability and resourcefulness over fragility and yeah I think I'm just like I'm done with the pillow princess vibes for a little bit like I just can't I mean I actually don't think I ever embodied those vibes um but I like I think I'm just I'm kind of I'm kind of just maxed out with the frailty of woman the daddy help me vibe I think I just it's got to go for a little bit IMO um anyways okay I've got to run uh I hope everybody please enjoy your long weekend and um thank you for listening as always and I don't know yeah see you in the fall (laughs) all right bye